Now, there are a lot of names, again, in the scripture this morning, and it's going to seem like I don't know how to pronounce them, and that's true. But just bear with me. I may pause at a few moments. Um, but hear the word of the Lord from Nehemiah. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants— and in Jerusalem lived certain, lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalalel, of the sons of Perez, and Maaseah, the son of Baruch, son of Kolhoza, Kolhoza, son of Haziah, son of Adiah, son of Joyarib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shiloh, uh, son of the Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the distinct surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall, to the Dungate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milali, Gilali, Maya, Mai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests Eliakim, Maaseah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Eli Oini, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Maaseah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, 
Uzziah, Gehohanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God in the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, they were directors of the singers, and they, were so- and they were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the day portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Yeah, let's give Dodds a hand. He did the real work today. It's a lot of names. Peace be with you. Um, good morning. Like Dodd said, my name is Britt, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, as Dodd just read, we'll be going through Nehemiah 11 and 12 today as we continue our series through the book of Nehemiah. But before we really jump into the text, I think it's important to look um, at the context of this passage. Um, I really want to do this because I think today's text is kind of the cap of, of the book of Nehemiah or, or ends the main arc. There's another chapter. Um, we'll look at that next week. But, but 12 really ends the main arc. They're celebrating the building of the wall. So here is, is where the Israelites have been um, before our text today. So in Ezra, Ezra the book before Nehemiah, um, you see the Israelites return from exile. So they're in, in Babylon and they, they first return. Um, and in the book of Ezra, they rebuild the temple. That's kind of the main story of the book of Ezra. And then we picked up our series in, in Nehemiah. And in chapter one, Nehemiah leaves, leaves Susa, um, the capital of Persia, and he goes to Jerusalem. Um, and then we've been working through um, these past weeks as he rebuilds the wall. And so, and then they finally complete the wall. Ezra leads the people as they read the law. Um, Nehemiah then leads the people as they confess Israel's sins together. And then they covenant together as a people to follow that law. And that's what Dodds preached on last week. Um, And now, as we just read, um, they celebrate. They celebrate that they've completed the wall around Jerusalem. And so today's text is pretty long. Dodds didn't read all of it. But I think we can really break it into three parts kind of 11 verse 1 through all the way to 1226. Um, and there, here we see Israel faithfully responding to God's call to move to Jerusalem and, and the list of the people who did that. And then in 1227 through 43, the Israelites, they actually celebrate. So it's a description of them celebrating the rebuilding of the wall. And in the last portion, 1244 through 47, um, we see the Israelites again being faithful um, in the day-to-day running of the temple in the city. So let's, let's start with our text, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, it says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, 
while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So the last time we really see the state of Jerusalem, it's in Nehemiah 7.4, and it says this, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. So the temple's been rebuilt, the walls have been rebuilt, um, but there's just not enough people to actually run the city of Jerusalem and to, to maintain the city. Um, and they call this the holy city, right? So God's city. Um, and so they need to bring people into, this, into the city. So Nehemiah basically recruits or, or volunteers people to live in the city. And the way he does this is he prescribes a tithe of the people surrounding. And so a tithe just means a tenth. He wants a tenth of the people that live in the surrounding area to move into Jerusalem. And they cast lots to decide who that is. And so casting lots may be unfamiliar. Uh, that's more of an Old Testament practice. Um, but it's, it's just a way to determine, um, it's a way that the people of God determined his will in the Old Testament. Um, and so we see in Proverbs 16, it says, the lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is the, is the Lord's alone. Now we see in the New Testament, we have the spirit of God in us, so we don't need to cast lots. Um, but in the Old Testament, that was one way they used to determine God's will. And so they do that and people move into the city. It's a little unclear in verse two, um, if the people that bless them are blessing people that substitute, people that got their lot cast, or if, if it's just the people who went. But either way, it shows that um, the people who went and moved into the city were shown honor for their sacrifice. And so just, just a moment, we won't cast lots at Sojourn to determine who gets to move to Jerusalem at any point, um, as we see Nehemiah do. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the Spirit might not call us to move from our homes here in Houston to go elsewhere um, to do God's work um, wherever he needs us. Um, or the opposite may be true. The Spirit may call you, if you're a visitor or you live outside of our neighborhood, the Spirit may be calling you to move into our neighborhood, um, plants roots here um, for, for the sake of the gospel and to, to come alongside our church for the work we're doing here in our city. Um, and so, you know, if that's one of you, think, think critically, pray and ask God if, if that's his will for you. And if it's not one of you, the people that we see doing that, we should honor. So if we see somebody making a sacrifice, moving into the, to the city, or going elsewhere for the sake of the gospel, we should call that out um, and honor it. And I, I think this is something we've seen a lot here over the history um, of Sojourn. We've had a lot of people move into our neighborhood so they can be um, more of a part of our church here. Um, they've even sold their homes um, to move into our neighborhood. We've seen it. And the way that people have willingly left the Heights, left our neighborhood to go plant churches in Montrose and the Galleria and Spring Branch and Oak Forest, right? And on that note, I, I wanna challenge you. I wanna, I wanna throw this out there. The Spirit might be leading you to, to move out of the Heights, move from wherever you are to, to Southside to join Raph and D'Amico as they plant their church in October or, or join uh, with Chase in the Southwest Houston um, to be a part of his, his church plant there. So just, I, like I said, I, I challenge you to sincerely ask God if he's calling you to do that. He doesn't do it to everybody. We can see in Nehemiah, um, it's a small portion. Um, but if he is, talk to people, pray to God, just evaluate if that, that's something that God wants you to do. Um, and then again, when we see people leave 
honor them. Let's call it out and rejoice in that. And we'll, we'll continue to see um, as we go through verse 3 and all the way to 1226, the Bible do this, commending people who have moved out of this, um, into the city. And so in, in verse 3 of chapter 11, I'm not going to read it, um, but it's, it's just, it starts with a list of all those, the, the leaders, the priests, the Levites, and the gatekeepers who lived in Jerusalem, who had made the move um, into Jerusalem at the time of Nehemiah. And then it goes through a list of the places around Jerusalem that the people were settling in and where they lived, um, kind of in the province of Judah. And I want to I make a note here, we won't really discuss it now, but, but that'll be important later. We'll come back to that. So a list of the areas that they lived in Jerusalem. And then finally, it tells kind of a history. It starts with um, the Levites and the priests who came with Zerubbabel, who is, the, who is the leader in Ezra that brought the Israelites back to Jerusalem, and their descendants and their legacy all the way to the current line of priests and Levites living in Jerusalem in the day of Nehemiah. And so, like I said, I, I didn't ask Dodds to to read this whole list. I'm not going to read this whole list. Um, it seemed cruel with all the other names that he had to go through to add more in. Um, but I did ask him to read verses three through six, and I, I wanted to do that for a reason. Um, I think it's I think it's really easy. I do it. Um, to just read lists of names of places, especially hard to read names, and just just skip over it, right? It's like, okay, let's get out of here and get to the good part. Um, that, that that's my habit. Um, but I, I don't want us to do that. I want us to pause and slow slow down, because I want us to remember that these are real people. You know, every name in there is a real person, flesh and blood, who lived and was faithful to God's call to leave their normal lives. Um, and return to Jerusalem. And the, and the Bible writes their names down so that as a way of honoring, a way of commending them for what they did. And so I think there's two specific takeaways I have um, from this section that I think we should think about. I, I hope it causes us to remind us to remember those who are faithful to us in our lives. You know, who is, who is our list of people that, that have been um, faithful and ultimately led us to faith, poured into our lives, like given us counsel. And I think we should think on that and we should, we should look for opportunities to honor them. And then I hope it both encourages and challenges us um, to remember that, that God uses people um, to do his will in the Bible. And you are God's people. We are God's people. And so look for ways that God may be using you um, to do his, his work in our, in our area. Um, and so, it, like I said, it's easy to think we need to be a Nehemiah and do great things, but I also think every one of you is, is a son and daughter of God, and God pe- calls you to do his work where you are. And then we're going to jump to verses 27 through 43 in, in chapter 12, and this will kind of be the, the main place we, we stop and look at. Um, I'm going to read a little bit um, of the text that Dodge read, and then, and then we'll kind of explain what's going on. And so it says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. Um, and then it kind of breaks down what they did and who did it. And then at the very end it says, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoice, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. 
the women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem is, is, was heard far, far away. So what, what's happening here? What are they actually doing? I think there's a slide coming. It's a picture that, that maybe makes it a little bit clearer. Yeah, perfect. Um, so, so basically what's happening in our text is the, the Israelites start in the south of, of Jerusalem, kind of by the fountain gate um, or the valley gate. It's a little unclear exactly where they start. Um, but then they break up into two groups. Um, one group is led by Ezra, and the other group is led by Nehemiah. And they basically um, split. One goes to the east side and walks all the way around the city along the walls on the east side, and the other goes around to the west side, and they meet at the top and ultimately come down and end right in front of the temple. And as they're going, they're singing, they're celebrating, and when they get to the temple, they offer sacrifices, and they continue that celebration. Um, They continue to rejoice, and it says, they are so loud that the, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And so, I want to point out here that it's, it's not ultimately the walls that's the focal point. I think that is a big part of the celebration, don't get me wrong. But, but they end at the temple, and their celebration is the loudest at the temple. And I think that, asked, that leads us to ask the question, what exactly are they celebrating here? Obviously, like I said, it's the walls, but I think it's not just the walls. It's God's answers to their prayers, God's deliverance of his people in the midst of their enemies. Um, we've talked a couple Uh, past weeks about them being surrounded by enemies, people that were trying to stop the work, and God is faithful um, and sees their project through. And so I think you can see this clearly if you go back to the beginning of Nehemiah. Um, So in Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah prays a prayer, um, and he, he says this. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. So he heard about the state of Jerusalem. And then he picks up in verse 8, he says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you were unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring, bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. So like I said earlier, chapter 12 we see it's kind of the end of this arc that starts in chapter 1. And 1, Nehemiah prays for God to um, return his people and help rebuild the city. And in Nehemiah 12, they've done that, and now they're celebrating. Nehemiah asked God to remember his promise to Moses, saying if the people will return to God, he will return them to their city. And, and we see God answers Nehemiah's prayer. But it's not just Nehemiah's prayer. If we go back to the beginning of Ezra, which is the book just before Nehemiah, where um, the book of Ezra starts re- recording the Israelites, Israelites returning um, to Jerusalem, in the, very, in the very first word, it gives us a hint of what this whole thing is about. It, it points out that God's promised deliverance is coming and his faithfulness to complete it um, in this book. And so Ezra 1.1 says this, It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. He makes a proclamation that he's going to send the Israelites back 
um, and rebuild the temple. And so what is this word by the mouth of Jeremiah that Ezra is talking about? I think it's pretty clear um, in Jeremiah 30 that that's what Ezra is talking about because Jeremiah uses the same language that Ezra does. It's uh, chapter 30, verse 1 starts this way. It says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, which is the exact same thing Ezra said. He says this, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. And a little bit further down in in verses 18 and 19, it says this, thus says the Lord, behold, I will restore the fortune of the tents of of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound and the places shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs and thanksgiving and the voices of those who, who celebrate. So we see God fulfilling all those words in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and specifically in chapter 12, um, where they, they celebrate like Jeremiah prophesied they will. In, in Jeremiah 30, he says that, that they will be brought back to the land of their fathers. And this is why I said it was important. Earlier in chapter 11, there's a list of, of the cities that they live in. And that city, there's a few differences, but it mostly overlaps Joshua 15. And Joshua 15 is when the people enter the promised land, a list of the cities that they lived in. And so you can see God in chapter 11 is reminding them that he's fulfilling this promise He's brought them back to the land of their fathers. And then in in 18 and 19, he says, the city shall be be rebuilt on its mound. The palace shall stand where it used to be. He's done that. They've done that. They've rebuilt the city. And then he says, out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. So we can see they're celebrating because God is fulfilling their promises. Um, What he said he will do, he has done. They're celebrating God's faithfulness to his people. And so we should ask ourselves, if we see here God's people celebrating their, his faithfulness to them as people of God, what should we celebrate? Should we celebrate? Um, and I would challenge us, we should celebrate. I think we should ask ourselves, do we celebrate um, God's faithfulness in our lives? Would people think one of the marks of our church is that we're celebratory people, that we, that we celebrate well? Because I think we have even more to celebrate than the Israelites did, as we see here in chapter 12. God has brought them back from physical exile, but he has brought us back from spiritual exile through the death of his son. And so how much more should we celebrate? And so I think as God's people, we should celebrate. We should look for opportunities to celebrate God's faithfulness to us. First and foremost, I think we should should celebrate, and we do every week, um, God's faithfulness in our salvation. Um, We'll talk about it later, but we do that. One of the ways we do that is in communion. Um, We were enemies, and we've been made families, and I think that that should be something that we should be joyful about. We should celebrate. But I also think as we've seen here in Nehemiah, we should, we should rejoice and celebrate where we've seen God answer our prayers. 
I have to confess, this is, this is something I, I do very poorly. Um, I don't often look back and see where God has been faithful in my life. That's not to say he hasn't been. He has. It's there. But I just, I fail to look back. Um, I commonly pray to God and ask for things, but I never go back and, and celebrate when he answers those prayers. Um, and so I think that's something we should do. We should be looking for where, where has God answered prayers in our own lives um, and share that and rejoice in it. And you may say, hey, look, it's easy. Um, these guys just got their city back. They just got their walls back. Of course they're going to celebrate. Maybe I don't have things going on in my life that that's easy to celebrate. But I want to point out the context here. We just read at the beginning of chapter 11, they don't even have enough people to fill the city, right? The city is not in a good place. The wall's built, the temple's rebuilt, but the, but the city itself is not doing well. And we, we talked about in, in Nehemiah 5, Nehemiah uh, describes some of the ongoing problems in the city. And spoiler alert, next week, chapter 13, he will do it again. So this, all's not perfect in the city, and yet they celebrate. And so I really want to take two points from this. If you feel like you don't have anything to currently celebrate, like, let's look for it. I, I challenge you to look for it because there are things to celebrate in spite of everything that's going on. And I think Nehemiah shows us here that we should do that. Um, and if you don't think you have something, ask your friends. Find something to, to celebrate. And then, too, I think as a, as a broader group, as a church, I think it tells us we can, we can be cognizant of the things going on around us that aren't perfect. You know, we've, we've talked here with, with the SBC, with, with things that are going on that aren't going well, and we can hold intention that things cannot go well, and yet we can still choose to celebrate what is going on well. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. So I want to challenge us to look for places to celebrate. And you say, that may, that's great. I agree we should celebrate. But if this whole story is about celebrating walls that were built 2,500 years ago, what does that have to do anything with me? And I'd say this, um, I think it's just a picture of what's to come. So we see in Nehemiah, God bringing his people that are scattered amongst the nations to his city. But there's going to be another day where he does the same thing. He will, he will gather his people, his church, scattered amongst the nations to Jerusalem um, you, can, you can see this in Revelation 21. It says this. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall, like we just said, new walls with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, and on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had the 12 foundations, and on them were the name were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. 
and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. So, so Nehemiah's walls, they're just a shadow of the true walls to come, the better walls um, to come. The gathering of Israel is just a, a shadow of God gathering his people together one day, but, but instead of it being Nehemiah, it'll be God himself who does that. We've been talking a lot in this series about building the kingdom of God. We see Nehemiah build the kingdom as, as believers. We build the kingdom of God here. This is what we're working towards. This is where it's all headed. This is the final kingdom. This will be the fruit of our labor. And so this is why we love our neighbor. This is why we try to reach those in the heights so they will join us here in the city. And it says there will be, be no temple. They stopped in front of the t- temple But in the new heavens, the new earth, there will be no temple. It will only be God himself um, who lives with us. And that's what we're going to rejoice. That's where our our true celebration, um, they sang so loud that it was heard in the surrounding. But but we too will sing um, even louder um, those days. And so I just want to paint that picture. That's where we're going. That's why we celebrate. That's what we can have our hope in. Um, That's what we're building to. And then the last section, um, it's, it's a short couple verses. Um, not going to get too into it, but um, it says this. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruit, and the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields in the town. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. It goes on to, to list more details, but I think that really hits the gist of it. Um, I just want to kind of end saying this. We've been talking about building walls. We've been talking about great things being done for God's kingdom. But uh, these last three verses, they're really, they're really more focused on the mundane things, the, the everyday things, taking care of God's people, taking care of the temple, taking care of, in our day, the church and its people. And so I think it's important to remember in the midst of all this talk about building walls and temples that being faithful in the mundane is, is important. They were concerned about God's, God's work, both in the large things and the small things, and I think we should be too. So I just, I just encourage you, if you're a member here at Sojourn and you're, you're not serving on one of our teams, you're not serving um, the body in a way, I, I'd encourage you to try to find a way to. It may be a big thing, it may be a small thing, um, but, but plug in and, and serve our body. Um, now, I wanna celebrate, um, as we just talked about, there's a lot of faithful people who, who are part of the team. It takes a lot of people to make this work on Sunday, to put up with my kids in the back while, while I'm doing this. Um, and I think we should celebrate um, them and their work. But I also want to encourage you to, to step in and serve if you're not a part of it. So join the certain kids team. Join the band. Serve as a greeter or an usher. Try to find out more about parish leadership. Look to step in there. Um, but just, just find a place, maybe a small place, um, to step in and be a part of the work we're doing here. So that, that's a long thing. It was a long text. I really want to bring it back to, to two big points, two takeaways. Um, the first is this. As we read through the list of people, God uses real people to do his work. As a church, let's look for ways, big and small, as we just talked about, that God can use us, whether that's serving on a team, whether that's loving our neighbors, serving our neighbors, mill trains, that's something we do a really good job here about as well. Like, let's find ways to plug in 
um, and, and do God's work where we are. And then two, if, if we see people got doing God's work, let's take a moment, let's pause, and let's honor it. I think that's something that we can do better as an elder, as, as, um, as a church in our parishes. Like, let's be a celebratory people. Let's rejoice in all the things God's doing here. And so that leads to the second takeaway, which is let's be a celebratory people. Let's ask ourselves, where do we currently celebrate? How can we celebrate more? What are our, our normal rhythms that help us celebrate um, week in and week out the work that God has done for us? Let's, let's, be, let's be mindful and look around and see what God's doing in our midst that may or may not be going unnoticed. And let's, let's rejoice, let's celebrate, let's be a people. One of the marks of our church should be that we're a celebratory people. So I wanna, I wanna do this in a couple ways. I wanna kinda walk the talk here. And so I think there's some ways big and small that we can do this. Um, one, since we're talking about buildings um, and walls, I think one of the ways um, that God has really been faithful to us, to our body, is this building right here and really the whole property. Um, we were... We were pretty lucky to get it financed, and yet we did. Um, we were able to move in. Y'all probably remember, but the, the first Sunday we were in here, the day after COVID hit, we shut this place down. But God was faithful to provide us with a courtyard out there, right? And so during COVID, we had a place to meet when a lot of churches didn't. A lot of churches were scrambling to find places to meet, and yet God was faithful to give us a space that we didn't even, we didn't even plan for. Didn't even see that coming. And then we had the freeze, and, and our kids' area um, uh, was, was uh, in need of repair. So we've been out of that for a while. Um, we're working on it. Hopefully we'll get that back uh, sooner rather than later. But, um, but we had a fellowship hall, so that was not part of our original building. That was an add-on, and God was faithful to provide a space for our kids as we've continued to make. So I think, I think that's just one way we can be mindful of things we might miss and celebrate them. And then, and then second, um, I want to celebrate our Sunday lunches. That's been a new addition, and I think it's been a healthy and fruitful addition to church. It's helped me meet people that I normally wouldn't, um, be more connected, feel like more of a church. Um, so I just want to take a moment there. If you're part of the Sunday lunch team, can you just stand up? Yeah, do it. You got to do it. Yeah, let's celebrate our people. You know, and then I think we did this a, a couple members meetings ago, but I, I want to celebrate our parish leaders, people that are faithful week in, week out, to invite us in our homes, to share a meal with us, and make a place for us to connect, to do some of the places. So if you're a parish leader, would you just please stand up? Let's celebrate our parish leaders. And then lastly, I said we should, we should look at where, where God has answered prayers. Um, and I think one thing we've asked you um, from the pulpit in members' meeting is to pray for a, a healthy staff culture. Um, it hasn't always been the healthiest. Um, we've talked about that. 
Um, but I, I would say by God's mercy, we're at, a, we're at a better place among the elders and the staff that we do have a healthy culture. Um, we're looking to add a, a children's director. We've talked about that. And, and they'll be able to step into a place of health that they wouldn't have. So I think that's just a place where God has answered. Yeah, we can clap. Yeah. And then I, I, would just, I would just challenge you as you meet in your parishes tonight or later on in the week, let's ask people, what can we celebrate? Where have we seen God be faithful in our lives? Let's, let's do that, and then let's do the main part, and that's celebrate it, right? Don't just ask. Actually, let's commit to celebrate. Um, so that's my challenge to you for the week. Um, so please just with, pray with me as we close this out. Father, Thank you for this church, this body, um, real flesh and blood people being faithful to you where they are. May we be a people that celebrate well. May we celebrate all the good gifts you have given us, but most importantly, help us to celebrate you sending your son to die for us and to redeem us from our exile and to make us your sons and daughters. Um, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.